0: This episode utilizes several YouTube videos and is best viewed in video format from our Rumble channel at The Collective Resistance Podcast. You can still listen to the audio version here, starting now. This is The Collective Resistance Podcast with your hosts, Leo and Fabiola. We will be discussing why we find ourselves resisting the narratives of the Common Collective as well as why the Common Collective resists new information.
1: The structural integrity of the World Trade Center depended on two connected systems of vertical pillars, a central core of reinforced concrete conveyed vertical loads, while steel pillars were arranged around the perimeter. In combination with horizontal trusses, the outer pillars formed a system for absorption of horizontal loads caused mainly by wind. The horizontal trusses also supported 10-centimeter thick cement slabs in each floor while connecting the two vertical systems, preventing the pillars around the perimeter from falling outwards. In September of 2005, America's National Institute of Standards and Technology released its report on why the buildings collapsed. It stated that when the plane struck the towers, the rupturing of their fuel tanks started a fire that buckled and weakened the building's structural steel. With time, the buckling caused the outer walls to deform, which caused the sudden collapse of the floors above the impact zones. The report states that floors below provided little resistance to the tremendous energy of the falling building, allowing the structures to disintegrate very quickly.
0: Well, you know, we have 9-11 coming up uh, tomorrow, which will be yeah. when we uh, publish this episode. Yes. And we wanted to... I've always wanted to do an episode on 9-11 because, mm-hmm. you know, I felt that it was responsible for a lot of, I mean, dare I say waking up, but I mean just kind of, hey, something's amiss here. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, with what happened in Maui recently, uh, it just at least kind of called us back to 9-11. Mm-hmm. And uh, here you got a little something on your face there. Let me get you. Oh, you. Um, but you, you called us back to 9-11, and uh, it made me say, hey, look, let's take advantage of the opportunity that the the – 22nd anniversary is coming up, uh, where we can maybe draw some parallels. But really what I wanted to do in this episode was to introduce people to uh a it's not necessarily a new narrative, but it's one that has not really um gotten a lot of uh, uh notice. And mm-hmm. uh there are a lot of parallels with that and the no virus theory, because you know, you have the in the pandemic, you have the um uh, obviously, the, the the germ theory explanation for it all. Then you have the the uh, uh, gain of function. Well, gain of function, and you and you have the um, um, uh,
2: germ theory theory. No, no, no,
0: no, no, no. <laughs> I've got it. I've got it. You you have the ivermectin thread.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Right. It's like the counter thread to the vaccine thread. Mm-hmm. And uh, but then you've got this whole no virus debate, which doesn't seem like it's getting much. Play, right? They're not wanting to talk about that right. in the, uh, 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 the the social channels uh, very much, or it gets blocked, or, or uh, people don't want to do interviews with people. Which is
2: the paradigm where you take away the fear factor, right? Because the other paradigms have the fear factor. And I'm wondering with all the 9 11 and even what happened in Maui, and I know you're going to talk the parallels, uh, if there is a scenario where it takes away the fear factor.
0: Well, I, I I was uh looking at 911 and I think we're actually getting to a point now where you know you could bring up 911 at a party and I think there's a good chance that uh, a significant percentage of the people there uh you know there was something they don't buy about the uh official explanation mm-hmm. of how that all happened and uh really it's it's getting to the point where it's almost like JFK you know mm-hmm. I think a good portion of people they know that something was amiss with JFK. You know mm-hmm. there was probably some uh, internal beef within the government. You know, and 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 they assisted some of the three letter organizations assisted in in uh, his. Uh, uh, demise Uh and uh or
2: maybe he went to david bowie's island maybe he went to
0: david bowie's island
2: (laughs) (laughs) do you remember that netflix series we watched where it was all about this dude going back in the past to like prevent the assassination of JFK? yeah 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 and then in the end the very i mean if you guys haven't watched it, i don't remember the name of it but in the end they prevented the the death and created this this parallel reality or this Alternative future, which was super dark. Yeah. So, remember so, that? So,
0: they were kind of making it out like him dying was actually good because we, then, we didn't know, go to I the left, apocalypse.
2: I laughed at that back then, but now it makes me wonder. Yeah. If. It would have been the best.
0: I don't remember that it was. It was uh, James Franco that yeah, was in that, uh-huh. and and uh, it was it was the date of the of the uh, that was the the name of the series was the date he got executed. So I can't remember what the oh, the date was. Okay. That was the name of it. Okay. But yeah, yeah, good show, really interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but it
2: just makes you wonder. You know, they sell you this narrative that this guy was amazing, and then he was assassinated. And then now with uh, RFK running, you know there are some people trying to glorify the whole thing because he's been such an advocate for, you know, let's take a look in these vaccines. But at the same time, he keeps saying he's pro-vaccine everywhere. So you go like,
0: hmm, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. There's definitely uh, weird things going on with a lot of the the personalities in this. Yeah. But but uh, and he
2: will not talk about the no virus too.
0: No, I know, I know. He won't. He won't yeah. do that. So. Yeah. Um but you know just to kind of reflect on 911 uh you know I I remember it vividly and uh I was wondering what you were cuz we weren't an item on 911 We
2: knew each other, didn't we? We knew
0: each other. Yeah, we were working at the we that's you know we hadn't I think we I, I went to work there in January mm-hmm. of 01 mm-hmm. and then uh we didn't start dating I think until like uh the following year. Yeah, it was about a year and a half later. Um, yeah. but, but, uh, were you at work where you, uh, you were at work? Okay.
2: Yes. I was actually getting ready for work and my mom called three weeks earlier. I was actually in New York at the top of the towers because I had seen this ginormous buildings and I didn't know what they were,
0: but you went to the top
2: and I, I just felt magnetized by them and I just kept trying to figure out how to get there because it was my first time in New York and I kept walking and walking and walking trying to what is this what are these buildings or maybe I only saw one of them and then I get there realize there's two of them and then I'm like I gotta get up there and back then you know there was no TSA back then right so you just you know roamed around free and Went up, you know, paid the fees, saw the restaurant up there, took pictures Were you Were you there. with people? I was by myself at first, and then I had to go back uh, the following day, because I wanted to go back and take more pictures. Oh, and okay. oh wow.
0: So right you did now. it two days in a row. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It well,
2: was crazy, because I had never heard of the
0: buildings. Well, and so so that must have been weird too. Then you you see this. That, happen. Oh yeah.
2: So then my mother calls from Brazil in the morning, and I thought that was weird. She called the house, and I was getting ready to go to work. And then I, I remember, just she's like, "You t- turn on the TV," and I see the whole thing with the news. I had this like little TV I had borrowed from one. I was, I was in college still. And I turn on the TV and I'm like, oh, wow, I was just there. <laughs> I'm glad it didn't happen while I was there, you know, thinking that. And then I drove into work and you were there. Yeah. Because I remember the, the oldest guy in the company called a meeting and everybody's uh, sitting around and maybe watching it. Do you remember that?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was, when the first plane hit, I was still at home. And I remember my—I was living with a friend who had a house, and he'd already left for work, and uh, uh, I'd gotten a call on the landline. Remember, remember landline? The
2: landline, <laughs> yeah. My mom called me on the landline,
0: and uh, uh, it was his mom. And then she's like, "Hey, you got to turn on the news." And uh, I turned on like Good Morning America, and there it is. They're watching, and uh, and then I think while I'm I'm watching it, the second plane hit. Uh, um, or what we thought was the second play whatever, whatever happened, whatever happened. the TV was um, showing, us. and and I was like, oh, holy crap! And so then I went into to work, and then uh, we had TVs. If you remember, we had TVs throughout the office because we would. Uh, manage like our ticket counts and stuff and they would have all that data mm-hmm. on the tvs and so then they changed the channel to cut co- to watch the coverage all day and i remember that was a long day mm-hmm. you know just consuming what was going on uh, uh, at that attack and then uh, you know we went into one of the longest news cycles known to man where they just right. covered it for 24 hours a day for for probably the better part of a couple of years mm-hmm. um sounds like COVID. yeah yeah but uh, i i remembered on uh, that day, later in the afternoon, I remembered when the third building fell, and, and
2: I did not even know.
0: Yeah, that. so I, I remember because we Cause were. I
2: don't watch the news. Never have.
0: Never will. Well, no, we were we were watching it in the office there, and because uh, it happened, I think around five. O'clock in the afternoon New York time, which for us was like three, so we were still at work. Maybe you'd already gone home for the day or something like that. To but school. but or to school. But but uh, I remember, and they they didn't say much about. It. I mean, it went down, and it was like it was just like another domino, you know. And then I'm I'm thinking, holy shit, another building goes down. And then I never heard anything more about it. And I, I'll be honest with you, because the the two towers were so huge. And they were the, you know, the iconic things. I didn't really think too much about the the third building. And it wasn't until several years later, once I started waking up and seeing some of the stuff, you know, proliferate on the internet, you know, I came across the uh, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth, which was one of the biggest truther groups, like organized groups. And this was, uh, you know, a group of thousands of uh, uh certi- mm-hmm. certified architects and engineers who had you know assessed the the uh failing of the two tower or actually not the two towers but uh the Building 7, the third building, which was, a, uh, I think, a 40-something story building that was uh, across the street, was not hit by a plane. A lot of people don't even know, like you said, don't even know that it went down. And uh, it actually was where the um, security infrastructure for the whole World Trade Center complex was was hosted. And that was actually where the, it was the bunker, if you will, or the emergency management response uh, um, center for where the uh, mayor would go in case of an event like this mm-hmm. uh, they would go and that's where they would do their governing from uh, in case there was there was issues you know happening throughout the city and so that building went down so that that was interesting in and of itself because you know all the camera feeds and everything they all fed into that center and that building was destroyed and mm-hmm. so that was ironic and when I finally heard about it from the architects and engineers I was like wow okay that's that's interesting. And, you know, when enough convenient things happen, you know, to support something counter to the official narrative, you start to say, okay, well, look, you know, how, how many of these things could just be happenstance, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, so so I followed the architects and engineers for quite some time. Uh, Richard Gage was the individual who started that. And, uh, you know, like I said, there were thousands of people who'd signed on to that. And they had actually uh, focused in on a theory of controlled demolition, mm-hmm. specifically for Building 7. But their whole goal was, hey, Building 7 was not a building that was hit by a plane. Mm -hmm. So if we can prove that it was controlled demolition with Building 7, then it will really force the authorities to look at the two larger towers with a a finer eye. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, so I... That was
2: the gain of function,
0: right? Yeah. So so, so now, uh, you know, years later, actually, um, not long after, you know, I, I had... We really dove into architects for engineers. I remember catching a interview with Dr. Judy Wood, which is who we're going to focus in on today. Uh, and she was um, promoting this idea of a directed energy weapon being used mm-hmm. on the towers. And I remember at the time thinking, "What the hell? You know what I mean? Directed <laughs> energy weapon? Come on! I mean, I've heard a lot of things, but this, this, this." this is out there and and really when i heard her talk the first time she hadn't really um i think built her book of evidence yet. She had just kind of, you know, been uh, putting her thoughts together and whatnot. And uh, and it was interesting, but it wasn't, I don't think it was super compelling, at least in the way that she was uh, delivering it at the time. Uh, and so I didn't think much of it, you know, and I, I kind of just uh, uh, sloughed it off. And then it wasn't until years later, you know, apparently she had ended up writing a book, which I've got here. I've got the book, as you see, it's a, it's a very thick mm-hmm, book. Mm-hmm. Uh, she'd wrote a book and she did uh, several very uh, thorough presentations, which we're going to show some footage from today. And uh, she goes over her theory of this directed energy weapon. And the reason why I wanted to talk about directed energy was because directed energy weapons are um, they seem to be all the rage now. Because uh, the, uh, they do well related to the Maui fire, people are talking about. Uh, you know, for short, they're called do for DEW. And, and, uh, they seem to be likening the directed...
2: Sounds like weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: (laughs) so these, these, uh, uh, people online are talking about these directed energy weapons and, you know, like lasers were fired at, at Maui to light these fires or to make them more powerful or whatever. And, and I had some issues with that when I first started hearing them, because I, I knew... Dr. Judy Wood's work with 9-11 and uh, it it really wasn't a laser type thing. However, I I guess if you want to look at directed energy weapon, I think that's more of a blanket statement Mm -hmm. because technically we're talking about an energy and we're talking about directing it at a target. So, I mean, there could be different directed energy Mm -hmm. weapons, right? They don't have to be the same thing. But I do find it interesting because now you have all these people talking about it and people are linking directed energy weapon with space laser or with you know uh laser hooked to an airplane. Mm-hmm. So they're 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 thinking of this um you know uh, uh what was that eighties movie we were talking about? Oh
2: my gosh, what was that? Yeah, you
0: know, what what was that one called? Weird science or no it wasn't weird science. That was the one with the, it with was the with lady, um uh, pure, real genius, real genius. That real was what it was genius. called, real genius. It
2: was on Amazon, if you guys want to check yeah, it out. Yeah, that was with uh,
0: Val Kilmer.
2: Yeah, Val Kilmer, very young. Like, he was just these college guys were hired by some government plant.
0: To develop this this laser. Yeah. And so, uh, here, I'm trying to get Predictive
2: into Predictive my... programming at its finest.
0: Well, but what's interesting is that people are then running with that as being this precursor, you know, like this is what occurred, and I'm like, eh. and, and what that's doing to me is it's taking the the work that Dr. Judy Wood did around 9/11, mm-hmm. and now when people actually do come across the idea of directed energy weapon, I think they're kind of, you know, putting a little bit of a of a at arm's length with it because they're now hearing the space laser which i think is kind of nonsense maybe not but mm-hmm. but it, so so i really felt it was pressing it that we do the episode
2: Well, we're in the firmament
0: okay <laughs> okay, okay uh so let let's let's dive in you always do that to me you know? You're always <laughs> showing that stuff in um but let's let's see here let's introduce uh dr judy wood here initially just so everybody has a a uh uh, frame of reference here so uh so her her work Where Did the Towers Go is not uh, the work of a day in her, her first chapter Dr Wood tells us that her study of 911 really began on the calamitous September day itself when she realized that what she was being what was being seen and heard on television was contradictory and appeared to violate the laws of physics. This means as I write these words that Dr. Wood has been a student of nine 11 for eight and a half years, yet the preparation for that study took even longer. Dr. Wood after all holds a BS in civil engineering an MS in engineering mechanics, applied physics and a PhD in materials engineering science These degrees speak to nothing less than an adult lifetime dedicated to scientific analysis and observation. Dr. Wood's areas of special focus within physics and engineering will strike readers also for their obvious suitability to study 9-11. Dr. Wood's MS thesis involved the development of a physio interferometer to study the effects of material defects on the thermal expansion behavior of composite materials. Her PhD dissertation, in words from her website, involved the development of an experimental method of measuring thermal stresses in bimaterial joints using Mawar in- interferometry careful readers of where did the towers go will quickly understand the remarkable compatibility between the subject of Dr. Wood's dissertation and its applicability to her analysis of 911 the same is true of certain of the courses she taught when she was a member of the faculty at Clemson University. These included experimental stress analysis, engineering mechanics, mechanics of materials, which is the strength of materials, and though not at Clemson, strength of materials testing. It's difficult to imagine an academic preparation more logically relevant to a study of 9-11 than Dr. Woods, to a study that is not of the history of 9-11, not of the origins of it, not of the motives for it, but simply solely And only to a study of what happened literally in and to the World Trade Center bombings on buildings on 9/11. So again, I think that's an important frame of reference: is that so many of the uh, groups that have questioned 9/11, they really have come up with. Explanations, you know, around the whole thing, you know, Bush and Cheney and and the the interests around oil and the in the Persian Gulf and all that. Sad- Saddam Hussein. She's not interested in any of that. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, the the uh, on the front of her book, she says, you know, where did the towers go? Evidence of directed free energy technology. And she says, you know, one of the key importance of investigating this is because if this technology does exist, which it appears to, then if we are to uncover that and make the powers that be admit that, then number one, it won't be used on us again, but number two, uh, this is free energy technology, meaning mm-hmm. it would generate so much energy that we all wouldn't live in a scarcity mindset around you know energy creation providing for the people of the well, world.
2: Well, the Monopoly game can keep going. Yeah, the
0: Monopoly game can't keep going. So I think it's an, a very worthwhile discussion because of those net benefits, rather than just you know digging into the minutia of, okay, well, look, this tragedy occurred you know, why do we need to understand that? Yes, we all agree there was some funny business. Well, no, we could literally change the the trajectory of the world uh, by uncovering this technology. So, um, you know, and, and really that was part of the reason I was drawn to the architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth because they also weren't coming up with ideas of why people were doing it. They were just saying, look, let's just prove what occurred with Building 7, mm-hmm. but... An important footnote just to just to mark with this is that uh, what was interesting about the Architects for Engineers, and we'll get into it a little bit later, is that they're actually at odds with Dr. Judy Wood, the, at least the leadership, and they have sought to really um, – go after her and kind of tear her down. And you would think that someone who's also in the same type of field, they would be working together and say, okay, well, where, where are you right? Where am I wrong? Where, where do you have additional information or perspective? And they're not doing that. And Mm -hmm. so, so there, there's this, to to your point earlier, it's like the architects and engineers are the controlled opposition. They're the allowable dissent, for what happened mm-hmm. because it does not point to this technology.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, yep. all right. Well, so let's. Uh, let, what we're going to do is, uh, as I mentioned, she did a presentation around uh, this book that she that she wrote, and uh, it's a long presentation. It's about two and a half hours. We're obviously not going to get into two two and a half hours, but she points out, you know, probably twenty different areas of interest that really should lead to additional investigation. We're going to look at like three or four of them initially because she classifies them as the as the most important, and we're going to kind of talk through those as we listen, um, and, because it's very interesting and it, it and it may not be something that uh, uh, you've heard before. But I think that one thing that is interesting is she says, "Look, we use the explanations of existing phenomena to describe what is happening, and that's really the challenge which she feels occurred on nine eleven is that you know we saw planes go in." The buildings uh, came down, uh, appeared to come down. And so we then wrote a story you know, ab- about, well, they weakened the, the joints and then it fell down and right. it killed all these people. But she says there were a lot of other phenomenon that were occurring that are not consistent with that. Mm-hmm. And so if we were to look at those phenomenon, we have to say, well, what could create those phenomenon? Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead we disregard those things and that's what's what's happened here. So you need to look at this with a new with eye. new
2: eyes, fresh eyes. All right,
0: well, so let's do that. Let me um, share my screen here.
3: What happened? The towers didn't slam to the ground. If they'd slammed to the ground, there'd be over a million tons of debris left stacked up in the ground. That didn't happen. Manhattan would have been flooded Well, as we'll see, the towers were built in the Hudson River with a dike around them. If you slam a million tons of debris down onto the dike, you're gonna break it. It Didn't happen. And if you slammed a million tons of debris to the ground, it's gonna make a thud. The seismic signals did not reflect that. Those are the three biggest issues, but there's a whole lot of others as well, but we'll focus on those initially. The lack of debris, the fact the bathtub wasn't damaged, and the low seismic recordings. There's all sorts of other things, and toasty cars, of course, is one of the favorite things. And then in the second part, I talk about other um, pieces of information, other data that shows more about what technology is involved. But remember, you first have to establish what happened. Lack of debris. Again, if over a million tons of debris slammed the ground, you'd see a pile of debris left over. All right, you go to work on a nice September morning. There's there's tower one, there's tower two, and you work down here in Bankers Trust. So you're gonna go into your office there in Bankers Trust, and then you're gonna look out the window and see what you can see. Down here, you look out the window. What's it going to look like? That's looking out that window. Air conditioned office, looking across the street, and whoops, where did the building go? This is right after 9-11. Tower two is basically missing. Tower one is missing over there. There's this, I think everyone would have to agree there's not enough stuff left piled up on the ground. So again, we were looking out there. Now we're gonna look the other direction. And there's this main body goes missing. Just the north wing is left. The building just went missing. That's building four, it was a nine story building. So this is what was there beforehand, and it just basically all went away. And the uh, satellite image shows all sorts of holes that were in those buildings. The middle part of building six is gone. It looks like a post hole digger corded out. You have holes over here in Liberty Street, even some holes in Bessie Street. And notice again, the North Wing is remaining, but the main body's gone. And this is Bankers Trust, where you're looking out the window, seeing a non-building across the street. A few people talk about this building. It's a 22-story skyscraper. Well, it would be the tallest building in most small towns. It went away except for that last little corner. And Building 7 over here as well. Every building with the WTC prefix was it destroyed that day? So we're going to look at this. Now this direction. is really now, interesting. People here, people talk about hearing uh, the BBC announce early that Building Seven went away. Well, the CNN did the same thing for One Liberty Plaza, but it's still there. If you just get excited and want to be the first to report, and we're going to go down and look on the ground. And see what it looks like down in here. Looking at the front door of Tower 1. So here we are down on the ground. There's Tower 1.
0: This is wild.
3: North and south walls. Ambulance that was parked in front of the front door of Tower 1. An entire building
0: fell and the ambulance is still exposed.
3: Oh, wow. This picture, I believe, was taken on 9-11. Later in the day. I don't see any big steel beams on the ground. This aluminum cladding. The towers were built with steel columns on the outside that were covered with aluminum cladding. And you see the aluminum cladding. The ambulance looks pretty good. This was the day after 9-11. Peter Jennings in the studio.
0: Yeah, this is crazy.
3: Um, do we have sound?
0: She has technical difficulties as well. <laughs>
3: <Uh-oh>. <laughs> well, what Peter Jennings is saying is uh, and uh, old, George. Old,
4: old gone. And, and have, you, have you been able to? End and Start again, this is Stephanopoulos is uh, down in Lower Manhattan today, George. I don't know if you heard a little earlier. Uh, me raise this question, which was asked, actually raised by ABC's Jackie Judd, as we look at these areas down below and the video of where the towers used to stand and where is all the rubble gone and have you you been able to and is there any way you can answer that question I'm sorry Peter I didn't get the question okay I apologize Jackie Judd and several other people continue keep asking us when you look at where the towers used to stand there is surprisingly so little rubble where did all the rubble go
5: it's a very good question Peter and I have asked some people who've been doing some of the rescue and recovery work this morning. If you look behind me, you can see the very remains, the skeletal remains of the World Trade Center. And one volunteer, Robert Gerlinski, explained to me, the reason there's so little rubble is that all of it simply fell down into the ground and was
3: pulverized, evaporated. Uh, what? (laughs) This is vital information. (laughs) I really feel for, for George Stephanopoulos he, he's got this job telling the world what's going on there, and that's the best he could do. <laughs> and we It's Christmas magic until we're given an answer. We don't stop to think if the answer makes sense. So, he, what he has is telling us is that it's obvious there's a big lack of material there. And here's an elevation map of what was left. Did you see building four went missing, the holes in building six? Here's a firefighter in stairwell B. I heard this very, very loud
6: noise above me. Uh, it was just a, a tremendous roar. up right
3: here while the picture was uh, taken.
6: It was above, and uh, it sounded like it was coming towards, towards you. And, uh, and then the wind, a very, very fierce wind in my my, my help started lifting me up off the ground. And so that's when I crouched down. All I, the next thing I, did, I just crouched down, I got to the corner of the staircase by the railing, and I just got as small as I could possibly get you know I just because I'm not a big guy to begin with so fortunately I'm not uh, so I got in a, and I literally did, well I guess the best way to describe it I tried to crawl into my fire helmet I, that's that's what I wanted to do just to protect myself and uh, I wasn't sure what was going on I thought the building might be coming down and I figured uh, okay this could be it you know I mean uh, and I was a little angry I, I got uh, I just you know it' so like Damn it, like why me? Why, you know, I'm beautiful I'm gonna die in the World Trade Center on a beautiful summer morning. I just it's like a little denial and disbelief sets in and uh, so then I started getting hit with stuff. You know, it was just debris was hitting me and uh, it, got, it went dark and then the next thing was just total silence, nothing. No wind, no noise, no light, nothing. And then I started hearing noises, I started hearing like moaning, and guys were starting to communicate, yell out. These were the guys that I was trapped with. Uh, they're calling out, who's there, you guys are right." blah blah blah, and this kind of thing. And I realized there was other people, I wasn't alone, you know. Because you, when you're alone in a situation like that, they talk, it's like existential isolation, it's like, <laughs> and then when you find out you're with other people, it, it, it makes you feel a lot better. Even though you know you're in a very bad situation, at least there's other people. But then, the strangest thing happened. This beam of sunlight came right in on us, like about eight inches long. But it was clearly sunlight. It was all dirty, full of uh, debris, and it was like it looked like pepper was floating around in it, sort of. But it was sunlight, and I'm like, I'm like amazed now. A <laughs> 110-story building above us, I'm looking <laughs> up at the sun.
3: <laughs> he was right at the base of this. But building. when
6: you came out you had no idea where you were. There was no way to tell north, south, east, west. It was just the whole, the whole, all the, uh, all the, the whole atmosphere was full of debris and papers and smoke and and there was no landmarks. There was no way to make a reference point. There was no, you couldn't see the sun anymore. The sun had gone away, the the sunlight that had come in, now was gone and uh, so there was no way to tell which way you were going.
3: He was at the base of this building while this picture was being taken. Wow. And all 14 of them walked out on their own steam. Let's see. Here again is where they were. Jay Jonas was one of the ones with them. And said, I looked and said, guys, there used to be 106 floors above us, and now I'm seeing sunshine. There's nothing above us. That big building doesn't exist. Then later said, these are the biggest buildings in the world, and I didn't see one desk, one chair, one phone, nothing. Another survivor described walking out onto an empty football field. This is from the base here. This is what was there that went away. And that's where another 14 folks survived, in that little stub at the end of that first building I showed. And they had that hole in building 6, where 50% approximately of building 6 was missing. And the main body of building 4 went missing.
5: Every time a floor hit another floor, it would not only make a noise, but it would caused tremendous vibrations, so we're being bounced up and down off the floor, hearing this
6: collapse coming closer and closer. Mickey Cross was caught on the second floor. My helmet started flying off my head. I had forgotten to snap my helmet. So I grabbed my helmet. I guess instinctually, I just pulled myself down the corner. The collapse of the North Tower
4: created a massive rush of air. I was blown down six stories
6: down to the, the first floor, and I all I,
4: I
2: love the 10th music
6: <laughs> was, Oh my God. On. Oh my God, oh my God. There wasn't any time. To well, this
0: burn. is part of a documentary
4: that was done. Mm-hmm. 110 story tower. disintegrated in just 10 seconds. It was that fast yet for me, it was kind of slow motion too, at the same time.
7: And I remember thinking to myself, I said, "Oh shit, this is it.
4: We didn't make it.
2: I wonder what happened with that big antenna
4: yeah faced with what seemed like certain death the trapped firemen thought their last that's thoughts are prepared to die in those
0: 666
2: six, six. did you see that right? on yeah. his oh my <laughs> god <laughs> right 6669 <laughs> that's
0: nuts well i didn't know about that you just
2: holy moly
6: um and i pretty much saw myself i saw pretty much saw my funeral i saw everybody at the wake, at my funeral, and my
8: parents and family there. You think about everything that's, everything, I guess, that you haven't done in your life. And you realize that, is this it? are you going to make it out of here? And I was just too young, and I have too much more to do with my life than for this to be it.
6: I thought I was going to be dead in a few seconds, and I remember feeling, I, I hope, you know, this, I hope this is fast. Because <laughs> I had a, a fear of being trapped, like, say, with a broken back or severely injured, and still being conscious and alive. It, it was strange, but I was at peace when the collapse actually
5: started. I said, all right, whatever's going to happen now is going to happen, and I hope it doesn't hurt too much, But uh, but the fear was gone.
4: The collapse of the North Tower killed over 1,300 people trapped inside the building. But some of the concrete walls encasing Stairway B had remained intact, and enclosed within them, 14 people were still alive. As they opened their eyes, it seemed as if a miracle had happened.
7: I could hear Mike. I could hear him groaning. I could hear him uh, called out to me. I called out to him, said I knew he was alive.
5: You know, from the neck up, I seemed okay, but everything else was just like pins and needles. I mean, I was slapping my leg with my arm. I'm watching my arm hit my leg, but I can't feel it. I had my flashlight on my side, and I looked, uh, looked at my hands and looked at, you know, looked at myself to see if I was bleeding or anything anywhere. When he
4: heard noises around him, Captain J. Jonas realized he, too, had somehow survived the
5: disaster. I wanted to know who was still alive and uh, I started calling them out by name.
3: All the people in their group survived. That's a nice happy ending. But the descriptions they gave were not of a building falling on top of them, were not of bombs exploding around them. Wasn't high heat, they didn't get cooked. They didn't get squashed. The building just turned to dust above them. So we're going to look now at what was left. If we go down below the ground in that corner, well, here's what it looked like. The building indeed, you know, the main body went missing, just like it was sliced off there. So the mall is in the first story below ground and there's some some firefighters that were walking along there. We're gonna go down one story and look at them. The perspective. Here they are. That's right under that area. It's a little bit punched in down here, but you can read Innovation Luggage Hallmark Cards so you know right where they are. So now we're going to go a couple of stories below that to the loading docks. And it's right below there is where they're walking, but the loading docks look from up above. And it's painted purple under building five, so you know where you are, and then green under building four. So it's color-coded so the delivery trucks know where to unload. And we're going to look down that direction. just after 9-11 listen to the echo in this audio clip
0: I mean, think about how big that building was fell and it yeah. did not do anything
3: that's crazy man
5: Boy. going down to the parking garage we're in quite deep these are the first pictures of search crews underneath the world trade center desperately looking for survivors
3: that's not a collapsed parking garage that's not even a full parking garage it's an empty parking garage and we had this left you can see remains of tower one stairwell b where those guys survived and it's all at ground level there was a lot of dirt brought in
6: we were uh, able to move 120 dump trucks out of the city last night which should give you a sense of the work that was done overnight uh, so some of the debris has already been removed. More of it is being removed, and it will be done by barge all throughout the day today.
3: Did you think it was going to get cleaned up in one day? Again, here's the ambulance picture and, and all that was left.
0: I mean, how could a car that's right in front of the Where's front the door debris? not be
3: A million tons of covered. building. Yeah, It's crazy. One of the other survivors said this. We we kept telling them we're in third third floor, fourth floor, stairwell B, North Tower. Where are you? North Tower, stairwell B. Where are you? Stairwell B, North Tower. Don't you know where North Tower is? (laughs) They didn't know where the North Tower was because there's nothing left. And do you blame them? Here's right where those guys were, up in that little corner.
4: Hundreds more firemen were now arriving at the disaster area, but Captain Jay Jonas's Mayday messages were still not getting through. Trapped down in the remains of Stairway B, there was nothing else Jay
5: could do. We realized we can't get ourselves out, and uh, that's a big mental leap for a fireman to take, because we're so used to being the people who are going in to rescue someone. Now. The roles are reversed, and you realize you're helpless yourself.
4: But with the survivors buried alive beneath a debris field that extended over 16 acres, it seemed they would need another miracle to save them. It was midday on 9-11, and in the chaos and confusion, Captain J. Jonas' Mayday messages were still not being received the fireman had no idea there was a pocket of survivors nearby then jay again tries to make radio contact unexpectedly this time his call is picked up one of the officers coordinating rescue operations is chief nick visconti he responds to jay jonas's mayday call
5: I got a, a radio transmission from Nick Visconti. I heard operations post to ladder six. Operations post to ladder six. This is Jay, where are you? Okay, 10
8: 4. North Tower, farewell band and boy on the second floor.
4: But the location Jay gave was unbelievable to them. The North Tower
5: no longer existed. They asked for his location again. He asked me that a couple times, and one time he asked me that. Somebody else got on the radio and said, Where's the North Tower? I remember somebody saying that. Where's the North Tower on the radio? And I said, Oh, shit. I said, This... It's not good.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy, we're laughing. What I like about these clips from the BBC's show about the miracle and stairwell B, is that these are the original people. They're telling their story. Indeed, they're real people. And they were trapped in there and walked out. And what they experienced, can you imagine being at the base of a 110-story building and the building goes away and you're left alive? There's also a fellow who remained at the edge of that hole in building six. His buddies didn't make it, they were a few feet away. There's stairwell B. Just to look at the amazing aspect of this, you get the uh, bare sidewalk over here. Building 7, a 47-story building, didn't even fully spill across the street. If you had a big building coming down like that, even with explosives in it, it'd be like a uh, machine gun fire on all the adjacent buildings. Didn't happen. And the, this dome, doesn't look clobbered. It's right across the street. It look,
2: it's blue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't go there.
3: No. <laughs> you don't know, see that debris piled up on the ground. Yeah, where's the pile? Yeah, this is right at ground level.
0: It's just a shell. It's an empty shell.
3: So now we're going to talk about the bathtub. What the lighting is. If. The building crashed to the ground, Manhattan would have been flooded because that dike around the bathtub would have been ruptured. And all of the path train tunnels and subway tunnels were all connected underground and they would all have been flooded. That didn't happen. Wow! Here are the towers before they built across the street. There was just water right there at the base of the towers. And the towers go well below the water table there's also the rail lines that come under the Hudson up into the base of the bathtub. That tunnel was not damaged. First, they, they were worried because they had water in the tunnel, but they had fire hoses on it and rainwater going in there. But once they pumped it out, it stayed dry. That's the bathtub wall. It's called, or slurry wall, or dike, whatever you want to call it. It keeps out the Hudson River. The towers were actually built in the Hudson River, 70 feet below the water table. That's seven times 10. So they're pretty far down there. And if that thing had been ruptured, Lower Manhattan would have been flooded. And here's the Hudson River, and there's as they're constructing it, you can see way deep down in there is the base, down there in bedrock. The, the path trains, from the Jersey side, used to come up through here and back out, but they rerouted them to turn around in that, the new big bathtub.
7: Uh, I thought the seismic data you were going to look at was data associated with the collapse of the
6: tower, particularly two.
7: Yes. Oh, yes. Um, we did look, We. I mean, obviously we looked at all of the seismic signals. Um, the, the main focus of that was to establish the timing of the various events, uh, and, and if any. Uh, uh, again, using it also to see if there were any um, any uh, events that we could not explain, other than it being the collapse of the of the towers and and the uh, World Trade Center Seven. Uh, the, the signal strength due to the collapse of the towers were not of any magnitude that was seismically significant from an earthquake design standpoint or from the design or failure of a structural component or of, I would say, a piping system that might be used in a structure. So uh, there wasn't anything that gave us uh, pause in terms of that being a significant seismic event uh, to have ruptured the pipeline.
3: This was a meeting that NIST had to to determine what happened to Building 7. So they're wondering if there's any pipelines that went through the bathtub over to building seven, and it, it, he said it wasn't seismically significant enough to have ruptured a pipeline to cause any damage. He had two buildings, half a million tons each, slamming to the ground, and it's not a seismically significant event.
0: Biggest buildings in the world.
3: <laughs> yeah. and the bathtub's fine at the end of the day. Tower one's base is right here, down the bedrock. There's the old parking garage after they cleaned it out. Wow. And if the buildings had slammed to the ground, the seismic signal would have shown it. It Didn't happen. Michael Ober said, I don't remember the sound of the building hitting the ground. Somebody told me it was measured on the Richter scale. I don't know how true that is. If the building's hitting the ground that hard, why do I not remember the sound of it? Mm
2: Mm-hmm. He was traumatized. It's amazing.
3: (laughs) And uh, somebody who worked in the 27th floor was decided to go home because he wasn't going to get anything done that day. Went down to um, the, the ferry terminal, the south end of the island, and some idiot, they thought, came running up and said, The tower just collapsed. And they thought, That's ridiculous. They didn't hear it, they didn't feel it. When they walked past the tower, it looked like it was in good shape. Wow. Well, wow, I think I know why it didn't make a sound. That part of the building doesn't make a thud when it hits. Dust gradually settles and that's a lot of dust. This is an earthquake that happened earlier that year in January of 2001 in Manhattan. So we know that the bedrock that the tower sat on can carry a seismic signal. But here's what Tower One, the signal it made. Notice the difference in the quality Mm-hmm. This is very high frequency the lines are very closely spaced compared to this Also, it has this I call it the snout leading up to the, the big signal it, it has that leading portion which is the primary wave the, the P wave arrives first and then the secondary wave arrives This is neither a P wave or an S wave. This is only a surface wave P wave and S wave travels through the earth in other words, when the tower, during the tower's demise, the signal did not travel through the earth. Again, that's the January 17th uh, earthquake. And here's the P wave is like a rubber band snap and the S wave is like a jump rope. And the rolling surface, like getting up off a mattress in the morning, the, the mattress springs back up. If you remove two 500,000 ton buildings you're gonna create a surface wave. But it only lasted eight seconds. You know it takes nine and a half seconds to throw a bowling ball off the roof of the towers and have it hit the ground? So how how can this be? the building couldn't have reached the ground as a solid, rigid object. Here's where Tower tower Two had already gone by the time this chart started. Tower One's demise there, but here we're gonna focus on Building Seven, down here. There was an earthquake in the Fox Islands by the Aleutian Islands, and that's what the mess is after that. But where this vertical red line is, there's no seismic event that shows up at the scale. Nothing that stands out from background noise. For a 47-story building's demise, this is the King Dome, So here's a controlled demolition, and it produces a P wave and an S wave. So what length of time does that take? Uh, It takes, for, for a free fall speed from the roof to the ground, it's about four seconds. But the portion of time that the ground shook was more than twice that. So that doesn't answer the question either of what we saw. And with building seven, what is, very telling is that they calculated when the P wave and the S wave should have arrived because they could not pick it out from background noise. They couldn't even pick out where the surface wave arrived at, at one of these stations. So there's five different stations reporting and they had to calculate when the S wave and P wave would have arrived and it, and it was not there. The signal did not travel through the earth. So if we have Seattle Kingdom, we're gonna look at things relative to that. That made a 2.3 on the Richter scale when it was blown up by controlled demolition. And we have these two towers. Let's say for the tower two is the first to go. So if we turn it to dust, all but the bottom 16 stories, and then drop a 16-story building to the ground, we record approximately the same seismic signal as what was recorded on 9-11. Just pretend this rest doesn't exist. And for tower two, if you turn it into dust above the 20th story, and just drop a 20 story building to the ground, you get the seismic signal that was recorded. And for building seven, it's all but the bottom two and a half stories. Where's the rest of the building? Makes a 0.6 on the Richter scale. That's like a a jackhammer. It should have sounded like it was raining dump trucks. You know, big dump trucks go down the road. They they wake you up at night because they vibrate the ground. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so here's this is the last piece we're going to do. These three things. Okay. And this is one of the most interesting.
3: Dustification and lather. You'll notice I use a unique language. If you don't know what the phenomenon is and you use the name of a known phenomenon, that's wrong. You're misleading the direction the information is going in. You're, you're calling something uh, like fire when it's not fire. It, that's why I use the word fumes, because if you use smoke, you're assuming the cause to be fire. If you don't know what the phenomenon is, better not use uh, a name of a known phenomenon. Well, what happened to these buildings? That's a phenomenon we've never seen before. It needs a new name. I call it dustification. The buildings turn to dust. It's not a difficult word to, re- to remember either. And often I use names of food, you know, like, like uh, Cheetos or something like that. You're not gonna confuse this with food. It's better than using characteristic 493-7A. Yeah. You're not gonna remember that.
2: Right.
3: But we're gonna talk about dustification. As we talked about before, this is turning to dust as it falls. People have to see these these, uh, squirts ahead of the collapse wave. But what was that? If it's bombs, you'd see a flash and you see a whole lot more of them. But if you have the whole building turning to dust as it comes apart, what about the water tanks that are distributed throughout the building? They're going to get weaker and weaker as they're dissolving until they suddenly give way. And I'm trying to believe that, that that might indeed be what that is. We don't know. But if you've got that whole building down the ground in like eight seconds, let's say nine and a half seconds just to give it some extra. It would have to be squirting out here at the base at. At minimum of Mach 1.5, the air from the middle to get to the outside is like Mach 2.5. For sure, all of the adjacent buildings should look like they were machine gun fired. That's a lot to stuff to squirt out of the way, and that's assuming the building took, you know, nine and a half seconds to come to ground. So you just have those couple little puffs. Something's not right there too. Now, people who say, "Okay, we heard," they they claim they heard explosions, and so therefore it must be bombs in the building. They're starting with assuming what did it, and then going back to assuming what problem they're solving, instead of determining first what happened. Well, if you recall, um, "Blasting Zone Ahead," you know, turn off cell phones and two-way radios just in case it triggers something. How are you going to get everyone to unknowingly turn off all their cell phones in southern Manhattan for weeks ahead while they prepare the site? But there were sounds of explosions. Bombs go boom, but not everything that goes boom is a bomb. Think of putting an egg in your microwave oven. Turns out there's a lot of folks who talked about these Scott Packs exploding at ground level, sitting on the fire trucks. There's a lot of testimony here, we don't need to go over it, but there's various firefighters who've talked about hearing these Scott tanks exploding. Now this is slow motion of tower one coming apart. And you notice this, uh, there'll be some uh, column that starts falling down this, this corner. I think it's in here. And we're gonna follow it down and watch how it just turns to dust completely. She's talking here. Mhm. And as well as these other other things here it is. Okay, it's got the dust trailing behind it. This is a solid piece. You see it. Mhm. It's like ice cream melting. It's and it's gone. Going away. Whoa! Whoa my gosh. That's and if you focus on various other parts you'll see the same thing. Whoa. There's no sound with this. This is a high-speed version. So you can see that piece again. And these big chunks over here. You see it's turning to dust as it comes oh my down. Oh gosh, that's crazy. And we're going to go look down on the ground right next to where this was coming down. This is the Verizon building here, whoops, right here. And we're going to look at the corner right below there.
0: Because look how much stuff is falling, right? It's
3: a lot, yeah.
0: But now look, she'll show the street.
3: That's the Verizon building right there. This is that intersection where that material was falling. Right after everything settled, these people who were hiding come out of their hiding places. And and they're probably in awe. There's no building here. You can see sky. Looking at the body language, the guy with his hands on his hips, arms folded, arms at the side. They're probably in, in total amazement and shock and just bewildered. I call this picture the Twilight Zone because they probably felt like they just walked into the Twilight Zone. Bunch of cars went into spontaneous combustion apparent spontaneous combustion up here with a sea of unburned paper in between.
0: And that was one of the things that was very reminiscent uh, of Maui.
3: That mm-hmm. tosi Carla, but we're going to look at various directions of watching this dustification. There's a Cluster of core columns Yeah, this is killer here. This is here. just nuts. Look at that. Watch that, what happens to that. That's
0: taller than almost any building in the world, just that column. See the mm-hmm. sticking up?
2: Do you want to do it with your cursor?
0: Well, it's, it's not going to show up on they the screen. It just
2: faint.
0: We'll watch. It's there. And then it's just us.
2: Whoa. It's like a magic trick. Yeah.
3: I believe that's the upper part of where those firefighters survived in stairwell B. Those are core columns. This is another one. See how it peels away like a banana. And you see this clear air around it. Some folks like to say dust settled on it. Well, dust can't settle on something like that, that fast without seeing it. Wow. And this from across the river, you can see those, those two. And then there's a sequence from the northern view
0: do they just turn to dust?
3: And you know, my detractors like to say, oh it fell wow. over. And because the dust was so fine it hung in the air. Well, if the dust is so fine it hung in the air, how could it be settled instantly on these vertical columns? We saw how it was peeled away like a banana. But it comes a point where it's no longer a crisp boundary. and just turns to dust. I call it dustification. Where have we seen it before? Wow. <laughs> Poof. It was one more round.
0: I mean, did you think those columns are taller than almost any other building in the New you're York City?
3: you're told to see a collapse, mm-hmm. so you tune that That's out. Amazing. You can see all of this just frothing up into dust. That part. it's also blowing downward. Very clean edges so it isn't like dust was settling on it. Wow. Another part of it, this is further up than this image because this is coming down close to this building, but notice there's some chunks that go missing. And notice the dust kind of squirting out the ends of those Mm -hmm. pieces. You can see it trailing. That's
2: crazy, man.
3: The reason why it didn't, you didn't hear a thud when it hit. Lather is a term I use when it looked like a unique, another unique um, behavior pattern, but I think lather is just the, the part doing the same thing that this is doing, but doing it in place. And this video is of Building 7, the north face, but notice it's one face and one face only that has this uh, lather pouring out of it. No, no, go low to the corner. notice it's spiraling around
2: yeah like a tornado if, if
3: the uh, if it was smoke from a fire and it really needed to get out why isn't it coming out these windows if there's a traffic jam you know why does it take the path of least resistance
2: yeah
3: the wind that day was seven or eight miles an hour no no go low to
6: the corner
0: Okay. All right. Well, that's really what I wanted to wow cover right there. What what, what were your uh, Fabi, What were, were some of because I know you hadn't seen that.
2: No, and I, you know, I was I kept thinking in my head about we don't know what's real, these right? Because there's CGI and all this stuff. And that's what I it was going through my head, and at the same time, man, if that was real, I mean, what she saying makes sense you know, where's the debris? Why didn't the bathtub break? Why was the garage on the bottom still intact? I mean, there's so many questions. Yeah. In
0: another presentation I saw from her, she actually showed, um, you know, when, when they do demolitions, Mm -hmm. they, they know from the height of the building Mm -hmm. and the materials they know, okay, if it's a 60 story building, when you bring that down, you're going to, that's going to equate to, uh, 30 feet of right. debris yeah. and uh, she didn't show it in this particular presentation, but, but uh, you know, the debris, I, I, the debris field I, I believe from what I recall was like one sixth or seventh of what it should have been mm-hmm. based on wow. no, how tall yeah, the buildings yeah. were, you know,
2: it's if you're on the ground, cause I went back after, I don't know, a month or so. And you can't tell from the ground. And I'm sure those people that were there were just stupefied. They're like, what in the world? I mean, first of all, you don't see it coming. Then you have all these images that they play over and over at the plane. So it just like programs in your head. Okay, this is what happened. Uh, Yeah, but that big piece disappearing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, and then also she makes the point of saying, you know, in a typical... um, Demolition, you do have a dust cloud, yeah. but it's very, very small by comparison, and it settles uh, uh, over a long period of time. This stuff seemed to have a an attribute to it, how it flowed through the city, mm-hmm. very much different. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes into more stuff later. Then this is a thing I wanted to point out. So, so we we went over about you know, 35, 40% of the presentation here, mm-hmm. this presentation is two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And she has so much more mm-hmm. in here talking about the weather that day, talking about uh, w- earlier, we just mentioned the, the, she called them the toasted cars because there were cars in parking lots that weren't even close by that just spawn appeared to spontaneously combust. And there were also cars near the world trade center that were, uh, they were not Nothing landed on them, and they were completely burned out. Uh, wheels were melted, door handles were melted, and the uh, uh, um, the interiors were gone. And yet, the trees they were sitting next to were still had green leaves all over them. Yeah, that's great. And so that was that was actually some similar attributes to what people saw in Maui, mm-hmm. and uh, they're like, well, hey, if, if you can melt aluminum mm-hmm. in these cars from the fire, then how are some of these trees that are right next to—or or there's other things that did not burn mm-hmm. that were right next to these cars. Some of these cars in Maui were in the middle of empty lots. There was no fuel around them, and yet these cars burned out and had molten metal, yeah. you know, uh, uh, the aluminum running away from the, the wheels. So— again we're 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 saying look there people don't look to these these technologies because we are not educated on these technologies mm-hmm. but you know they've said that you know the the military is a minimum of like 30 years maybe 50 years i think I, I heard somebody say that they're much further than that beyond and and they keep that from us because they want to be able to manipulate because if we can't imagine these types of of technologies being used, then we will only use the existing paradigms to explain them. And, mm-hmm. and that gives them the way to, you know, mislead, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a, as far as the causes and yeah. then, you know, climate change, all this fire, all yeah. that type of stuff. Um, yeah, it, it,
2: I saw a video of, uh, what they're doing in farming. Now the fields, they use the machine to uh, kill off the weeds and they use, you know, they target them with these machines. To kill off all the weeds and yeah. the cornfields with with laser. Yeah, yeah. So well, I mean, they can. We know they can do it in a small scale. Well, the question is.
0: Well, as I mentioned, she goes over a lot more items. I highly recommend. We'll we'll link to it. Check that out. The book is well worth it. Again, uh, uh, where did the towers go? It's it's extremely well referenced. I mean, where she, did
2: Dr. Judy Woods go?
0: Well, so that was the Dr. End piece.
2: Judy. If you're listening to this now,
0: well, I reach think
2: out. we would love to have you on the podcast.
0: <laughs> well, I I think, and you know, we talked with Robert Phoenix on one of our interviews briefly about uh, Dr. Wood, and uh, I think that you know he had said that he'd heard that she got you know pretty uh, uh, you know verbally and 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 academically ver- brutalized you know uh, uh, for you know her putting this out, and so you know this this uh, film we're watching this this uh, conference which was the uh um, 2012
2: said energy yeah it was conference. the it was so that's the right there, breakthrough energy oh, yeah, breakthrough
0: energy conference um this conference yeah 2012 so this was over 10 years ago and that's if you, when
2: the world ended yeah
0: and, well and if you go to her um if you go to her website which i believe dr judywood.com i believe it's still up uh She really hasn't done anything. Her her YouTube channel hasn't had anything like since 2013 or 2014, I think. So I think she's just kind of like, look, I did my piece. Yeah. I I did my research. I presented. In fact, it shows in the beginning of the book here that she submitted this all to – this evidence was also submitted in a federal – qui tam case against the contractors for nist's report on world trade center one and world trade center two for science fraud um and so she gives the district court numbers and the and the case numbers that it was it was presented forward i believe that it was um it, it was uh, they they didn't they w- didn't want to see it uh uh I think there's more information in the book. I didn't write those notes down, but mm-hmm. uh, she tells that whole story. Uh, but she wanted it on record, and she said, "Hey, look, you know, other people can do those other pieces. Mm-hmm. That's not what I am built for. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm built for." Um, so, you know, I want to do also because of what had just happened with um, uh, Maui. We wanted to talk a little bit about um, because again, I, I I think people there there were hucksters conflating what she's talking about with what happened there. And maybe there is a directed energy weapon, like a laser of some sort that was used to light fires. I mean, that's, that's possible, but we certainly can see the response of the government in Maui, even if this was a naturally occurring fire, they are using this as a, uh, you know, a, 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 a mode to, grab land and take more control over the the people and the the the, uh, uh, the property of Hawaii they're also they just don't seem like they're really trying to help those victims much and so that's leading to further suffering and mm-hmm. I think in some cases death I mean people don't have places to live mm-hmm. uh, they don't have money to buy supplies they nothing is allowed to be open they've even you know roped off um, with opaque fencing most of the area and they're really letting people back in even to get Their own belongings, you know, the own things they have in their own safes, you know, FEMA has already gone through and and inspected all of that. Who knows whether that stuff's still around? Because FEMA could always just say, "Oh, look, it must have been destroyed in the in the fire." Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just crazy to think what what the people of of Maui are having to go through. And so we had a couple clips here that you found, which were, mm-hmm. which were interesting, you know, there's certainly some much more incendiary stuff that's being discussed on, uh, 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 the socials, but, um, you know, we're trying to look at the stuff we can really get our hands around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have one clip from, um, uh, democracy now, which, uh, you know, I, I, I find them, they, they, they do some good stuff. They do some not so good stuff, but this is a pretty good, uh, uh, interview. So let's go ahead and, uh, and share that here, let's see, that would be here. I tell you, so let me escape out of.
3: Roll out and buzzballs. Okay. balls.
0: Now let's go to here. All right, I think I've lined this, oh no, I didn't here, hang on a second. got to reset this let's see where we're at here about
1: you for more than a millennia and in lahaina in particular this area sure it's special for people who come on vacation and people who know french street but for the people of this community lahaina was really the seat of the hawaiian kingdom it was the capital before the island of before and part of the reason that that was so, that Lahaina was such an important place, was because of the abundance of resources and the abundance of water resources in particular. Before the arrival of Europeans in Hawaii, Lahaina was actually known as the Venice of the Pacific, which for folks who have been there recently might seem extraordinary. Right now, Lahaina has been desiccated and is almost like a dry desert area, but when it was managed by Kanaka Maoli, by Native Hawaiians, it was abundant with water and other resources. So what happened was that with the arrival of plantation interests, those water, and especially after the capital was moved to O'ahu, those resources were grabbed up by landed plantation interests. So for sugar plantations and pineapple plantations, and later those resources were diverted to support Um, other kinds of development, including luxury residential development, and even to support hotels in some instances. And so what happened is that the vaivai, as we call it, the wealth of Lahaina was actually taken by these corporations. And so what we also know, at least the people from Hawaii is that part of the reason for this extraordinary tragedy um, in Maui Pomohana or in West Maui. It's also because it's, there has been more than a century of plantation water mismanagement in this area. It's because of extractive water policies where water hasn't remained on the land, invasive grasses have come out. That's what created the tinderbox and this unfortunate situation of the tragic fire that took place earlier this month.
3: Um, you've raised the issue of the governor wasting no time in issuing emergency proclamations as the wildfires continue to burn which suspended a series of laws uh, including hawaii state water code can you talk about why this is significant
1: i think part of what's so disappointing in the way the governor in partnership with large landed interests um, in Maui Komohana have tried to accomplish this naked power grab because really it's more than just a water grab it's also a power grab is that they're specifically usurping both the law and more than that they're usurping long-standing and broad-based community interest and support for more proactive water management and water management that's going to ensure that the resources benefit the people. So to provide some context, for several years now, Hawaii State Water Commission has proactively attempted to um, create what we call water management designation, which is really just a fancy term. It's an additional layer, kind of like zoning, that goes over an area where we know water resources are threatened, and once that happens, there's an additional layer of permitting that's invoked that allows the Water Commission to revisit allocations and how water is actually used and distributed. This is really important because in Hawaii, we have a public trust doctrine, which means that our water resources are managed for present and future generations and cannot be owned by any individual. But the problem is that despite what we call the Black Letter Law, in many ways in Hawaii and for the last century at least, might has made right, and in small towns like Lahaina, um, companies with a lot of influence have been able to maintain control of the water resources even when there are interests like Native Hawaiian families, like the streams themselves, that have a higher call to right or higher water rights, at least according to the Black Letter Law. So part of the situation in Maui Komohana is that because of this long history of struggle, um, Native Hawaiians and really people across the community came forward, participated in public hearings before our state water commission, and loudly called for more proactive water management. And in June 2022, they were successful in achieving this water management area designation for Lahaina. That means additional permit protections were put into place, and many folks, Native Hawaiians who have superior rights, but who rights whose rights have been ignored, We were able to come forward and begin a permitting process. Unfortunately, those existing water use permit applications were due on Monday, August 7th, and the fire ravaged Lahaina on Tuesday, August 8th. And then on Wednesday, August 9th, the governor's office issued these emergency proclamations which suspended the water code. So despite this huge effort to try and put this additional protection in place, which of course was predictably opposed by industry interests and development interests, but they were unsuccessful. Um, The Water Commission unanimously voted for Water Management Area designation, and yet um, then what they were unable to accomplish legally, they were able to accomplish with the support of the governor and the emergency proclamation. And so it's unfortunate that what we see then, that's why what's happening right now it epitomizes plantation disaster capitalism because here we have a handful of incredibly privileged large landed interests using this terrible tragedy to displace and to push through laws that they were unable to secure um when hawaii state water code was in place
0: so extremely well spoken uh, uh woman she's uh, she's the attorney um she's the uh Direct what was she the director of the Native Hawaiians Law Clinic, um, but uh, yeah, even, even if this was not a um, an intentional act, I mean, it was certainly uh, the 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 um, situation was was assisted by bad behavior, you know, around setting up the variables where if something like this were to happen, then the government could say, okay, look, this is the, this is what we want to do now we can move in and we can take advantage. And so that's the other piece of this. You have to, I think a lot of people say, okay, look, you know, they lit these fires. Well, something I didn't know, and she kind of points to it in this clip is that, uh, wildfires are not so uncommon there. They have them. In fact, uh, I was reading that I think in 2017, they had a pretty major one. And, uh, a lot of the residents of Lahaina and some of the surrounding areas went to city councils and they, they explained, you know, here's what we need, you know, from the, as far as warning systems and, mm-hmm. and, and water use and, and, uh, um, emergency preparedness, all this stuff. And it turns out that every one of those things that they requested because they had failed in a previous fire where there really wasn't much loss of life, but there was still some loss of property and whatnot, um, they knew what was necessary to, to, to uh, mitigate that risk. And the government did nothing They did not – it's in the minutes. It talks about all the things that the people said they needed. They didn't do any of those things, and now we have the situation that came up. And what's so telling is not that, okay, this has occurred, and you'd think, okay, the government's going to be – here, let me – well, actually, I'm going to play another clip for you. But the the government – you think the government's going to come forward and say – here, what can we do to help? You know, let's go to the government. Let's, let's go to the federal government. Let's get a ton of aid, like we're giving Ukraine and all this. You know, they they've acquired $700 per person. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, $700 while we're giving billions to Ukraine. I think it was estimated that $50 billion would rebuild Lahaina completely, completely, $50 billion, And we're giving them $700 per individual. I mean, it's just nutty to think. And so... They're certainly taking advantage of this, and how they are uh, mistreating the the residents of Lahaina is showing that they have some responsibility in this. We can't quite put our finger on exactly what that is. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, let's look at uh, uh, David Martin, which we've talked about in the past as well regarding the pandemic. He had some words to say. About uh, uh, wildfires in general, because we're starting to see these obviously pop up everywhere—Canada, mm-hmm. uh, Brazil, uh, Brazil, everywhere, South Brazil. So here, let's let's hear what what he says.
8: Know that the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression happened together because industrial agriculture wanted to close down the family farm. Now that's an objective fact. If you go back and look at it, you know. We didn't have climate change. We had a manufactured financial crisis that did not affect family farms, but was taken from the large corporate banks and infected the family farm banks, which gave rise to the incapacity for farmers to farm. The Dust Bowl was a banking crisis. It was not an environmental crisis. If you look at the bizarre nature right now, of the people who are administering the campaign of terror on CO2 emissions, and you're watching them let forest fires be started and burned with impunity, you sit back and go, hold on a minute, I thought carbon dioxide was bad. So why are we increasing the carbon dioxide by taking trees out of circulation? Well, the answer is land reappropriation. That's what it's about. It's about reappropriating land. And the best way to reappropriate land is to have a fire. That has been the case since the Old Testament. So this is not a new thing. This has been around for thousands and thousands of years. When humans cannot win on a fair playing field, they use fire. And they use fire to destroy an old appropriation of land and reappropriate it to a new use. There's no question that what is going on in Canada right now is a massive, massive, massive land grab where the state will come in in its largesse and propose new development of what? Of things that will be pro-state. That's not a human recovery. And by the way, as much as Maui may or may not be the sum of a series of electrical failures, there is no question that the power systems in Maui were not managed to diminish the risk of fire. We will not say, and I will not say they necessarily intentionally set them. I'm not gonna get into that conversation. What I will say is that very simple safety protocols, like if lines are down, don't send energy back into a down line, those kinds of things were not done. So were some of those fires without question, at least negligently set, the answer is, Without question, the evidence is unambiguous. And by the way, even NPR talks about that evidence. So the fact is, we know that what we have is a situation where this ongoing campaign of terror is about reallocating, redistributing, and reappropriating resources into state control. And there's no question that that's what happened in Maui. There's no question that's what's happening in Canada. And there's no question that that's what's happening in fires that are going on All around the world, remarkably, in places where climate change activists say they're the most concerned with climate change, they're pumping CO two into the air. So this this hypocrisy is necessary to create the cognitive dissonance. Because when you sit there and you go, I don't even know what anybody stands for. What's going to happen?
0: All right. Yeah, I I meant to clip that off a little bit earlier than that, but uh, you know. He's got a great point that that, uh, it's like purposeful negligence has been going on with a lot of these infrastructure systems. And then, uh, you know, we obviously know that there's just a lot of uh, bad behavior going on with how these fires are being set and proliferating. I mean, we didn't see fires like this before. Mm -hmm. You you were mentioning when you were even in California back in your teens, Mm -hmm. you know, you didn't see stuff like this. You know, they're blaming this on global warming, but you were telling me your area was just as dry. Remember we were driving through there Mm -hmm. just a few weeks back, and, and I was like, Man, I wonder if this place what well, this place looks like green, and you're like, Well, it's it, it was never really green, yeah. Only you know? in know,
2: spring it would get a little green in the spring. That's northern California, so in the 90s, and they never talked about what fires, fires, like fires that. back then. I mean, I remember doing drills for uh, earthquakes,
0: <laughs> but well, not and, we, fires. And, and we drove through that area, and just it was just crazy to see that fire culture, yeah, you know. Um, and then, uh uh, all the people fighting it and and supporting that it's it's that's become an infrastructure in and of itself. Just all the resources I just to have fight to say those
2: California, fires. California, just the energy there is just
0: weird. It's just weird. It is. It weird.
2: just feels weird there. It's just just crazy. Such a beautiful state.
0: So you know, I, there was one thing I forgot to mention um, uh, with. Uh, uh, 9-11, which I wanted to, I didn't get a clip out of the larger presentation, but, because you may still be asking yourself, okay, Leo, so, you know, you've got some interesting things here that, that Dr. Wood is showing, but you're talking about this weapon. I mean, what is this weapon that can do this? And she actually goes into the technologies that mm-hmm. were known to be able to produce this type of almost alchemical effect where it basically changes, you know, one material into another. So in this case, you know, whether it's concrete and steel into dust mm-hmm. and stuff like that, um, and uh, it was interesting. Cause she, she shows that, you know, there was a, a fusion technology, um, that was developed or it was kind of stumbled upon in, I think the, um, the eighties and, uh, uh, the, uh, at the time there was the existing paradigm of, of, of nuclear fusion. And, uh, uh that was kind of accepted as the, the way that, that the, the, the uh, the physics works, or whatever you want to say. Uh, and so, when these when these uh, scientists found this new fusion technology, uh, all of a sudden there was this group that were kind of railing against them because you know they owned the paradigm. I think around the existing technology, uh, at least that's what it looked like at the time. And 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 uh, there was this character by the name of Stephen Jones. I think he was a physicist and uh he kind of led the charge in essentially ruining these scientists careers that kind of found this technology uh and um but what was most interesting that she points out is so then this technology seems to get shelved right or the the exploration of this technology this fusion technology like
2: the technology should take us to the moon like the,
0: <laughs> that, that was lost supposedly uh, but anyway um
2: so this one was shelved this was shelved because it's it, yeah
0: different. yeah, and uh um so this was in the 80s, and, uh, and essentially these the scientists' careers were ruined as a result of of this uh, push that this gentleman kind of helped lead. And uh, I was like, man, you know, I, I know that name. And I, and I was hearing his voice because she was playing some clips of him. And I'm like, I know that guy from somewhere. And then she points out that he is one of the leaders in the Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth movement. Oh, and so what are the odds
2: What are the
0: that odds? this guy who is part like the of the— the
2: chief of— the fire department was the same dude and did Las Vegas shooting. No, no, the, the
0: the the police chief, the police, the police chief, chief in Lahaina was was uh, the mm-hmm. the emergency coordination. I'm glad have better memories. Okay, okay. yeah, it, but but uh, it's just funny. I mean, wh- we live in a, a world of billions of people. What what are the odds of these few individuals being involved in these major mm-hmm. catastrophes? Mm-hmm. And if we covered that too quickly, the 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 uh, uh, again, it was it was the Individual in charge of the emergency response of the law enforcement for the Las Vegas Police Department in that large shooting that happened at that Country Music concert years ago. He became the the chief of police at uh, in Lahaina, and so he is in charge of the response there too. Yeah. Uh, but but seller uh,
2: individual.
0: But again, what are the odds of job. this physicist? Which, by the way, I, I had notated here that he'd gotten a lot of funding from the Department of Energy, Mm -hmm. uh, from the the government. And so, you know, I mean, if you are to put two and two together, it makes sense that, okay, look, you know, they found this technology. Oh, this is interesting. We don't want this utilized out in the public space. We want to keep this for uh, these private organizations, Mm -hmm. uh, these government black ops orgs. And so, you know, he uh, uh, ruined these people's career. And then maybe throughout the 80s and 90s that technology was was perfected and uh and it just so happens that he's uh, one of the owners of the counter narrative, and he's claiming that you know the 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 towers in Building Seven were most likely taken down by by planted explosives, mm-hmm. and he's also one of the ones that that went after Dr. Judy Wood, yeah. And it, rather than working with her to really figure out what went on, he attacked her just like he attacked those people back then. So it's just a very intriguing. Yeah, what we're
2: trying to say here is that. The playbook, there's not a whole lot of variation going on. So if you're not picking up the clues, maybe you want to look a little closer. It's just the story keeps repeating itself.
0: So anyway, uh, definitely check out. We'll link to this presentation. There's a lot of other good stuff in it. Um, I'll also link to a... um, I created a Telegram group where I was just... Uh, capturing a lot of the social media, uh, activity around, uh, Maui. Uh, I was trying to filter it just to kind of find the stuff that looked like it had some, some relevance as opposed to just kind of the outlandish stuff. But, um, some of the outlandish still tends to bleed in, but you can, you can join that group if you want. Not very many people in there. It's just kind of a point in time, uh, uh, time capsule. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it really, we also want to, we also want to, uh, say, you know, that we uh, uh, wish the best for the families that were impacted mm-hmm. in Lahaina, as well as 9/11. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know that that uh, that's been a long, hard road for a lot of the people in New York City. Uh, I know a lot of people don't uh, there don't want to revisit this stuff, regardless of the implications, just because of the trauma, and that's understandable. I totally get that. Um, but that's why those of us that that didn't have that trauma are are, are able to do that work for them. Um, and then uh, uh, you know, hopefully, we'll all start to open our eyes up a little bit more, and uh, uh, you know, look for uh, ways to better use these these tools that might be being used to manipulate us for for the good. Fabi, anything you want to mention at the at the no, tail end?
2: I just want to uh, say that you know, fear not, fear not. This we're, we shared this information just as a different perspective, not to get more people scared of whatever the government or the powers that be or Mr. Global, whoever is behind, whatever force is behind all this. I have faith that we're going through a transformation. We're going through a revolution of the minds. We're ascending consciousness. Yeah. Can I say? And so this information is just there for a fresh perspective And also to get us to have conviction, motivation to break out of the system. Because the monopoly system, it is not meant for mankind. So we'll have more of that content next season and some of the things that we've been doing and learning about for you. Uh, We missed you guys. I know we haven't had an episode for a while. Uh, but you know, just busy with summer and the kids and traveling and just getting refreshed for the new season.
0: Engaging with life, right? Yeah. At the end of the day that's what's most important, you know. Yeah. We hope you, you find the stuff we go over informative and, and sometimes helpful in forming worldview, but mm-hmm. you know, get or out,
2: entertaining.
0: Or entertaining at least. But get out there with you your get out there with your kids and, yeah. and, and your, your spouse and, and, and have And if fun. you don't have
2: kids, get out yourself. Find finish.
0: find some. <laughs> <laughs> all right that's it another episode of the collective resistance podcast we'll see you again shortly
2: stay healthy stay safe stay curious